worship with this this morning, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, I'm glad to be able to worship with you. My name's Jimmy Cook. I'm the worship leader for Fayette Kids, and uh, it's my privilege to get to, to lead out in worship this morning. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, I feel like right now, it, it, this spot we are in history, there are so many voices that are clamoring for our attention and for our affection and ultimately for our devotion. You, you can just flip on social media and scroll through for a minute and you can see all those voices clamoring to be heard and clamoring really to be followed and, and what they desire is for us to build our lives around them. Uh, but this morning we have an opportunity to refocus and recenter. And so my prayer for us this morning is what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 86. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This morning, we have an opportunity to give thanks to God with our whole heart and glorify his name because his love is steadfast. It doesn't change. So would you stand with me as we sing this song together? From the rain. 
We were not designed to be alone. God's plan for His people has always been that we would live our lives in relationship with each other. When we put Jesus at the center of those relationships, we have Christ-centered community. After a difficult season of isolation and loss, we are calling God's people to once again gather, both in worship and in Christ-centered community. We believe that God is calling us to bring the presence of Christ to homes and neighborhoods all over Fayetteville and beyond. We want to invite you to join us right where you live. Your street, your home, your apartment building, your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, your parish. Find out who else in your area is gathering to belong, grow, and serve in the name of Jesus by visiting us at the community booth or online at fellowshipfayetteville.org forward slash community. Too late. It's not too late for you to join a community group. All you have to do is go to the QR code and take a picture, or if you want to join us out in the foyer later and talk to somebody, we would love, love to help you get connected in a community group or a small group. Good morning. I don't know about you guys, but I had a really good night last night. (laughs) Yay. Uh, My name is Margot, and I have the privilege of being both on the community team and the women's team here at Fellowship. And everybody, all our different groups, are having all sorts of kickoffs that are happening right now. We have community group that we just talked about. We have women's Bible study study starting this Tuesday, both morning, evening, and a Zoom option, if you would like that. We have childcare, but you have to to register today. So please go online and do that. Um, I want to talk to the women in the room for just a second. If you have ever wanted to get connected to other women that go to your church, but for whatever reason, you haven't been able to be in a Bible study or be in a community group, the back porch retreat is coming up and it is for you. It is five and a half hours Three hours on Friday night and two and a half hours on Saturday morning. And it is a way for you to connect with other women in your neighborhood and your parish. So last year, because of COVID, it was the first year that we ever did something on a back porch because we couldn't go back to New Life Ranch. But we met, different groups met all over Fayetteville, like Lee Smith. She had a group that met at her house And at first, they didn't know each other. But then, by the end, they were laughing together, and they were crying together, and they studied the Word, and they prayed together and processed. And then Diane Matthews, her group decided they were just going to do a slumber party. And so they did, and they said they had a ball. And they said when they were worshiping out on the back porch that it was just glorious to get to worship outside in God's creation. So, right now I know of four groups that are going to be meeting in Fayetteville, so please go sign up. And if you want to host us a group, come see me at the booth afterwards, and I'll get you all filled out. It's so, so easy, and it would be so fun for you to have a group at your home. So FSM is another group that has something exciting going on, but they need our help. So what they're going to do, in a week and a half, they're going to have the junior high and high school students come here to the church. And what they're going to do is they're going to fill out snack packs. They're going to fill bags with food. And what happens is every Friday in the Fayetteville Public Schools, 460 students get one of these bags to take home for the weekend because they are food insecure. What the FSM students need from us is for us to help them fund this. They're going to do five weeks worth of snack packs and each week costs over $1,000. So if you feel so led, please go online and, and help us fund this. And one of the reasons that they're doing this is because they said, 
We want our students, our students here at Fayetteville, to look around them and know that there is a need right in front of them, and they can do something immediate and tangible for their peers. So, the last thing is, I'm standing here holding it, and I totally forgot. If you haven't gotten your first Timothy book, please get it in the foyer. Will you pray with me? Father God, please still our hearts. We are here today because we want to hear your voice. Still our minds, our hearts, to help us hear what you would have us hear this morning. And Father, every person that you put in front of us today and for the rest of the week, I ask that you just give us your grace and your love to love them well. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me if you can, if you're able. Uh, we're going to do something that may be a little different or new to you. Uh, we're going to recite something called the Apostles' Creed. And what it is is essentially a, a, it's, it is the, the things that the church has always believed to be true. It's the doctrine that's foundational to the church. It's who Jesus is, who God is, uh, what salvation is, and what we hope for in the future. And it's, it's the way that the church has kind of organized those thoughts into a simple thing that we can say together. And you may have grown up in a liturgical church, and this may be familiar to you. Uh, and maybe it feels like a rote thing that we, we say every week. And, and I invite you into this as uh, engage your heart if you feel that way. These are things that we believe to be true. If you've never done this before, I invite you to engage your heart as, as we say these things. Our, you know, we may feel one day we, that we feel very excited about these truths. And, and the next day we feel kind of ambivalent toward them. But the beauty of the Apostles' Creed is that we join the church through history, to declare and confess the truth of the gospel. So let's do this together. You can say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
standing as we take a moment of silence to remember those we lost on September 11th, 2001. Jesus, when we are surrounded by tragedy and loss and suffering, You are our hope. God, for those of us who remember that day, it's vivid in our mind. We remember the, the shock and the pain. And God, as we are in a pandemic now and we are losing lives, God, there's suffering around us. We, claim, we cling to you, our hope in life and death. And we trust in you. As we look in your word, teach us what it means to love you and to love others. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. You never really felt like you fit in. You know, being mixed race, he, he felt like an outsider no matter who he was with. And the town he grew up in, eh, it was kind of a blue-collar place. It was one of those towns where people came and went, but nobody really put down roots. His parents were around, but they didn't agree on much, especially when it came to religion. He was kind of a frail kid, skinny, sick a lot. It seemed like everything he ate upset his stomach. And so you can imagine between the way he was raised and the place he lived and his general state of unhealth, he didn't have a ton of confidence. He was kind of timid. He had one thing going for him, though, his grandma. Uh, his grandma loved his mom, and she loved him. And she was a follower of God, and she made sure that he knew the Scriptures. She taught him to be looking for the Messiah, the chosen one, the person God was gonna send to set everything right again. And he was intrigued by that idea. 
He yearned to know more. Well, when he was a young teenager, some guys rolled into town. Like I said, that wasn't that unusual. People came and went in this town all the time. But these guys were different because these guys were teaching that the Messiah had, in fact, come, that his name was Jesus of Nazareth, and that he had lived and died in Jerusalem and then been resurrected to life. It was intriguing for him to hear that. And then while they were there, he had this incredible experience. He saw a guy that he had known his whole life, a guy who lived right there in that town, who had never been able to walk, walking around and telling people that Jesus had healed him. It was incredible. He went home and excitedly told his mom and his grandma what he had seen. But what he didn't know was things were about to take a dark turn. Because just a few days after that, some more guys showed up in town, and these guys were claiming that the Jesus guys were liars and thieves. And pretty soon, they had a lot of the town riled up. And the next thing he knew, he saw them taking the leader of those guys outside the city gates to kill him. Well, of course, he didn't go. He was way too timid for that, but he saw the crowd when they returned into town, and they had a somber look on, the face, on their face because they knew they had just taken a man's life, only they hadn't. <laughs> they had left him for dead, but in a few hours, he walked back into the city bloody and bruised, but alive. And he confronted those guys, and his message had not changed. Trust in Christ alone for salvation. And it left a deep impression on the young man. He never forgot about it. And so he started going to one of the little house churches that sprung up in the town, and he, he started to study what it meant to follow Jesus. And a couple of years later, the man that he had seen almost stoned to death came back. And he looked the young man in the eye. And what he saw was a frail, skinny, sickly, timid guy who had a ton of spiritual potential. And so it was a big day when he invited the young man to join his team. And so Timothy said goodbye to his mom and grandmother and joined the Apostle Paul on a journey of faith that would last the rest of his life. He left that town traveling with Paul and Silas and Luke, and his life would never be the same. So we fast forward about 10 years. Now Timothy's in the big city of Ephesus, and he's pastoring his own church, and it's an unruly, difficult church. And he gets a letter from his mentor, the man who spent the past decade teaching him to be a missionary and an evangelist and a pastor and a church planter. And that letter is the letter that we now call 1 Timothy. And that's what we're gonna spend our fall studying together, fellowship. So I wanna invite you right now, go ahead and pull out your Bible or your 1 Timothy study guide. Let's turn to the passage together and let's start our study of this incredible book of 1 Timothy. Well, my name's Michael. I'm one of the leaders here at Fellowship Fayetteville and I'm excited today. I'm excited because we're starting our study of 1 Timothy. I'm excited because we're launching community groups. And of course, I'm excited because of what happened last night. <laughs> it's a great day. Hey, I wanna point y'all to a few resources as you're turning there. Margo already mentioned one of them, and that's the First Timothy book. If you haven't picked one up, they're at the info desk. Here's what I wanna say about that. Not only is it really gonna help you in your study, it's got daily readings, it's got discussion questions, but you can bring it to worship. And the passage is in the book. There's a place for notes, so you can mark it up, you can jot some notes down if I happen to say anything worth remembering, but it would be handy to just bring that every week. I also wanted to point you to our website. If you go to fellowshipfayetteville.org, our main page, on the landing page, it says First Timothy Resources. It'll take you to a page that looks like this. There's tons of stuff on there, including some really good videos that one of our teammates, Nick, up at our Rogers campus put on there, and they're gonna give you some some Bible study methods and tips and also help explain some background on some of the passages. So I highly recommend those resources to augment your study. And then one more thing, it's just for you, Fellowship Fayetteville. It's a new podcast called Sermon Notes. If you go to wherever you get podcasts, search for Sermon Notes, you'll find it. That's gonna be every week, some of us here at Fellowship Fayetteville just talking about the passage, giving a little background, maybe talking about some things that 
didn't make it into the sermon, and so I wanna recommend that to you too. And so let's get started. First Timothy chapter one, we're gonna begin reading in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. Oh, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if it's used properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Man, Paul can squeeze a lot into a few words. Let's look at it section by section. It opens with a traditional greeting of a first century letter. But notice what Paul does here. He gives his credentials. He says, I'm an apostle. An apostle means one sent and commissioned by Jesus himself to take the gospel to the nations. Apostles had apostolic authority that came directly from the Lord. And Paul says, I am an apostle. He says, I didn't sign up for this job. It was by command of God. And then he identifies Timothy warmly as his true son in the faith. Now, these two little items, Paul's credentials and his relationship to Timothy, the fact that he put those in there tells me that Paul knew that this letter would be more widely read than just by Timothy. This letter is for Timothy, but it's really for the church. Why else would Paul put that in there? If I was writing a letter to my son, who's a freshman in college, I wouldn't say to Samuel, my third-born son, a freshman at university, from Michael, your father, and a community team member at Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. That would be super weird. No, Paul does that because of the things he's going to address. He's gonna address church doctrine. He's gonna address conduct in worship. He's gonna talk about how to choose church leadership. He's gonna talk about the church's relationship with the community in which it's located. He's gonna talk about how to handle material wealth. These are all hot button issues. And so he's establishing right off the bat, I am speaking with apostolic authority. And the leader of this church is my own son in the faith. And then he jumps right into it. He says, Timothy, stay there in Ephesus. Now, if you were here last week, Clark talked a little bit about the church at Ephesus. Rough place, right? Ephesus was one of the major cities of the ancient world. It was the big time. But it was a city that had pagan worship on every corner. Worship of Roman gods, especially a fertility goddess. Worship of the Roman emperor. It was a city steeped in sexual immorality. Really a hard place for a young pastor and church planter to be stationed. By the way, if you've ever wondered, what would it be like to go and, and just stand in the city of Ephesus or Corinth or Philippi? You can. Fellowship's putting together a trip in 2023. They're actually gonna take a sailing ship in the Mediterranean and visit some of the places that Paul and the other early church planters went. So if you're interested in that, hit that email address, J-O-P, Journeys of Paul, at fellowshipnwa.org. Clark and Pam Nolan will be leading this trip. And so they would love for some of y'all to go with them. So shoot an email to that address. Get all the information about the meeting that they're gonna have this Thursday to get some details out. All right, back to the text. 
He says, stay in Ephesus so that you can command certain people not to teach false doctrines. Now, we don't know for sure what these false doctrines were, but the text tells us a few things about them. They involved myths, endless genealogies, and they were fueled by controversial speculation. Whatever it was they were teaching, it wasn't the gospel, and it wasn't the Bible. Instead, it was speculation about controversial ideas. And Paul says, this didn't advance God's work because God's work is only advanced by faith. Now, is Paul being mean here? I mean, Paul shouldn't just say, hey, y'all do you. Y'all teach your truth, I'll teach mine. I mean, isn't Paul really just advancing his own agenda and propping himself up? No, that's not his goal at all. He tells Timothy, the goal of the command is love because it comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul's goal is love. And he wants Timothy's goal to be love. And he wants the church at Ephesus to be a church that's marked by the gospel message, marked by the love of Christ, not known for controversy and speculation. He calls this false teaching meaningless talk. It's not accomplishing anything. He says these false teachers, they don't know what they're talking about even though they confidently affirm it. Do you know anyone like that? Someone whose confidence far outstrips their knowledge. Don't say it out loud. Don't elbow anybody and say, he's talking about you. And as always, if you don't know anybody, it's probably you. But we don't wanna be that guy or that girl, right? We don't wanna be ignorantly arrogant. We wanna be We want to be humbly knowledgeable. I have a buddy who's like Timothy in that he's planting a church in a tough place. He's a guy, he was in my seminary cohort, and he's in a difficult cultural context here in the U.S. planting a church. And I was talking to him on the phone recently, and he said, part of what's making this hard is I have a congregation full of people who went to theology school and medical school at the University of Facebook. And it seems like in Ephesus, these confidently ignorant experts are taking the law, the Old Testament Jewish law, and trying to give it some kind of novel, fresh interpretation for Christians. Now, we might expect Paul to say, hey, the law's bad, just punt it, get rid of it, it's not for you. But he doesn't say that. And by the way, neither did Jesus. Because the law isn't bad, The law's good when it's used properly. The law is there to show us two things, God's holy standard and our inability to keep that law, which points us to our need for Christ. That's why in another letter, Paul would say the law was our our guardian, our teacher. One translation says our schoolmaster until Christ came. But these teachers aren't using the law Properly. Paul says, we know the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. It's kind of the play on words here, right? The law is for lawbreakers. But we get that, don't we? Who's the speed limit for? Speeders. Because the speed limit lets us know when we have surpassed the speed that the law allows for that area. It lets us know we're doing something we shouldn't. And that's what the law is for. None of us perfectly obey human laws, and we definitely don't perfectly obey God's law. And Paul is going to illustrate this point with some severe, egregious examples of law-breaking that parallel the Ten Commandments, the foundation of God's law. Look at these first four. Ungodly, sinful, unholy, irreligious. Well, you might say, those are pretty general. I mean, people who have other gods, who make idols, who misuse God's name, who break the Sabbath, obviously, those people are not following God. 
But those are the commandments that relate to our relationship with God. The next five that he lists relate to our relationships with each other. And all of a sudden, they get really specific. Paul says those who kill their fathers and mothers. Man, that is an extreme form of not honoring them. And then he takes the command not to murder, and he says, don't murder, because it's already maxed out. I don't know how he could have kicked that one up a notch. That's about as bad as you can do on that one. Then he says, for adultery, the sexually immoral. That's the word, porneia, that we get our word pornography from. And he pairs that with those who practice homosexuality. In the Greek, it's a compound word made from the word male and the word bed, but it's a verb, so it's male better. And there's been a lot of talk about that word and a lot of study around that word. I think what we can say from the text is the Bible teaches a sexual ethic that says sex is reserved for one man and one woman in the context of a covenant marriage. Clark and I talk a lot about how we don't want to be a church that's known for what we're against. We want to be known for what we're for, and that's what we're for. Sex that's reserved for a marriage between a man and a woman. Anything else, the Bible consistently portrays as sexual immorality. Then Paul moves to do not steal, but he says slave trading. An extreme example of theft. You're stealing someone's very life, their freedom. By the way, the next time someone says to you, you know the Bible condones or even supports slavery, point them to this verse. Paul lists slave trading, dehumanizing a person by treating them like a commodity. He lists that in this list of commandment-breaking sins. And then he says, do not lie. He says, liars and perjurers. Perjury is telling a lie under oath in court. Clearly, Paul is painting a picture of commandment breaking, law breaking. And just in case any of us are sitting in here thinking, man, I'm glad I don't do any of those things, he throws this in, and whatever else. (laughs) Pretty sweeping. Whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he has entrusted to me. The word translated sound doctrine there, it's hygieno teaching. That word hygieno, it's the word we get our word hygiene from. Doctrine teaching that's clean, that's healthy. Doctrine that's pure, leads to life and health. And Paul says that doctrine, that healthy doctrine, that's the one that conforms to the gospel, that fits in to the gospel Remember the gospel, the message that Jesus is Israel's Messiah and the world's true king, and that through his death and resurrection, we can be reconciled to God. Paul says, this doctrine, this teaching that points to the gospel is what God has entrusted to him. That word entrusted, we don't use that for just anything, right? We only use the word entrusted for something that's valuable, I don't entrust a paper cup to you. I entrust a family heirloom to you. It's got value. And Paul says, this gospel message is entrusted because it's the most valuable message that we'll ever have. God entrusted it to Paul. Now Paul has entrusted it to Timothy and through the Bible to us. And so the question that this passage is pressing us to answer It's the same question that Jimmy brought up in our call to worship at the beginning of the service. How do I know what teacher to listen to? How do I tell false teaching from true teaching when it comes to spiritual things? Or to put it simply, what voices should I listen to? Because y'all, right now, there are a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of misinformation. And sometimes it feels like whoever has the biggest megaphone, whoever's the loudest, they're the one that gets listened to. And what Paul's gonna point us to here is health. 
does this doctrine, and by the way, that word doctrine, it just means teaching. Does this teaching create spiritual health? Does it point to the gospel? So when you look at the life and ministry of someone, is it marked by health? Now, nobody's perfect. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when you consider a new teaching, is it from a person who has a lot of broken relationships around them? Someone who's always engulfed in controversy? Somebody who has a wake of pain and destruction behind them? Or do you see around that person harmony and love and people walking with the Lord? And equally importantly, does this teacher or author or internet influencer or whoever they are point to the gospel? Because no matter how compelling or how attractive or how charismatic their message might sound, if it doesn't point us back to that primary message that Paul said was of first importance, that Jesus, the king, has brought God's kingdom to earth and that he has died and been resurrected and now sits at the right hand of the Father, if that message is not central to this person's teaching, they shouldn't be the loudest voice in your life. And in this passage, Paul has given us some good warning signs. So a true teacher is going to teach something that leads to health and points us to the gospel. Contrast that with what Paul says about false teachers. One mark of a false teacher is speculation. So rather than pointing to what God says in his Bible, the Holy Spirit-inspired scripture, the very words of God, these teachers speculate about things the Bible doesn't actually cover. They let their imaginations run free, and they run to a place that the Bible never goes. And these speculations, in turn, lead to controversies, what Paul calls pointless discussions. Now, there's nothing wrong with talking about doctrine, discussing them. Really, there's not even anything wrong with arguing about them if it's done in the right spirit. But Paul is pointing to arguments and controversies that don't edify anyone because they don't go anywhere. Because Paul says they could never advance God's work because they're not built on faith in God's word and the gospel message. And that brings me to the big idea of the passage, to the goal of the teaching. Paul says the goal of the command is love. Love, love is the goal. Paul's talking about these false teachers who wanna be teachers of the law. Do you remember what Jesus said about the law? Somebody asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important thing in the law? Jesus had a quick answer. He said, number one, love God with everything you've got. And he said, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on this hangs all of the law. We often shorten it to love God, love people. So the law was always about love. Now I want you to think for a moment about some of those other voices that you might be allowing into your life. Is their goal love? See, we live in an outrage-fueled society. I think if we took away outrage and caffeine, we would just screech to a halt. Those are the only things keeping us going sometimes. People are looking for something to be mad about, looking for a reason to be offended, and there are people out there who are happy to meet that need, either by confronting you or agreeing with you in a way designed to offend you or make you angrier. Outrage drives clicks. And likes, anger and fear are attention grabbers. They get eyeballs. And so cable news and social media and a lot of our online sources drive a constant agenda of fear and anger. And false teachers in the spiritual space, they know how to seize on that as well. They know how to exploit our fear and our anger. And the next thing we know, without even really realizing it, we're believing a message 
that doesn't promote spiritual health and doesn't conform to the gospel. Part of what makes this so difficult is the marks of a message that has a goal of love are a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Well, those are all internal marks. It's very hard to just look at someone and know if those are true. And so I think part of what happens is we all get sucked in by good communicators who are compelling to listen to, but they're people we don't know. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to podcasts. I'm not saying we shouldn't consider teachings or writings from people we don't know. But I want you to think back to our Hebrew study this summer. The writer to the Hebrews said this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How do you consider the outcome of the life of a person you'll never meet? Who will you trust to teach you the word of God? Will it be somebody who has a new and novel way of understanding scripture? Somebody who's teaching some kind of controversial ideas. Someone whose teachings are built around their own speculations. Or will it be someone you know? Someone that you can see how they live their lives. Someone that you can see their marriage. See how they raise their kids. See how they live when the lights are not on them. For instance, your community group leader. Now, your community group leader might not have a YouTube channel, but you know what they do have? The Bible, God's Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and a life that you can easily observe. Same goes for your women's Bible study leader, your men's group leader, your CR step study leader. Same goes for the staff of your church. We all have the same goal, to point you to teaching, or in the words of this passage, doctrine that promotes spiritual health and points you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our goal is and has always been love. The goal of Paul's teaching is love, love for God and love for you, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the goal of our teaching at Fellowship, our doctrine, is love. Every time we open the Bible together, our goal is that the incredible love of God would be made clear to every person who hears it. The goal of our community is love because we really believe that a small group is the best place to experience and to express the incredible love of Christ as we belong grow, and serve together. The goal of our worship is love. We want every song we sing, every prayer we pray, every graphic we view, every word we say to point us to Christ and to the love that he showed for us when he went to the cross. And so really the goal of all of our ministry is love. Love is the reason we're working so hard here on this campus It's the reason that we're working so hard out in the community, in our parishes, at the University of Arkansas, and through our global workers and international partners all around the world, because we want people to know and experience the love of Christ. We want to make his love known. And so I do want to challenge you a little bit this morning. I want to challenge you to ask the question, is the goal of your life love? Are you motivated by love? Because I know for some of us, rather than love, our goal is acquisition. We want more. We want more money, more power, more influence, more likes, more clicks, more popularity. A lot of us want to be loved without doing the hard work to love others. Or maybe you're not motivated by love, but by anger. Maybe conspiracies and speculations spark your interest because you feel wronged and you're angry and you want a place to vent. Or maybe you're motivated by fear. You're trying to protect something. You're trying to hold on to something that you think could be taken away from you. 
Paul says, no, no. The goal, our motivation is love. Love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So to answer the question, what voice should you listen to? You should listen to the one that points you to the Bible, God's inspired word. The one that promotes spiritually healthy teaching and we might call it sound doctrine. The voice that always and consistently points you back to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The voice whose goal is love. And so fellowship, let's be known as a church that's made up of disciples of Jesus who are known for our love for him, our love for each other, and our love for the community in which God has placed us. Yes, we want to stand for truth, the truth that points us to love that's found only in the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel message. Thank you that when we couldn't get to you, you came to us. Thank you that love is not that we loved you, but that you loved us. Lord, help us walk in that. Help us live in that. May the goal of our lives be love.
fellowship, my prayer for us this week is that we have a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith that overflows in love for one another, love for our neighbors. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed. If you would like to pray with someone on my left, your right, those doors right there, you can go out and up the stairs into our prayer room. There's someone waiting to pray for you. But you're dismissed. Thank you for